turn to John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10, we're in a series that we have simply uh, titled The Gospel of John, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus and what it means to us and the world, and we do so by looking at Jesus through the eyes of his best friend, the Apostle John. And this morning we come to John chapter 10 where Jesus continues uh, to speak out to people as well as to the Pharisees and even those uh, uh, that were adversarial towards him. Jesus had just healed a man who had been born blind and you would have thought parades and all kinds of accolades would have been given to Jesus. But instead more adversity comes his way, more animosity with regards to whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. And this morning, we come to John chapter 10, and Jesus is going to invite us into something glorious. He's going to invite us into something wonderful. He is going to invite us into something that only he can bring, and that is the good life. Growing up, my dad had a saying, I've died and gone to heaven. When my dad would say that, that meant dad was having a great day. Maybe mom had made his favorite meal. Maybe it was just a good day with the family. Maybe as we were doing something special. When I heard my dad say, I've died and gone to heaven, I knew he was living the good life. All of us want to live the good life. We have a lot of different definitions of what the good life is. For some, it's a beach. It's especially in the midst of a very cold winter. It is a secluded beach and, and a wonderful time to hear the waves and to feel the cool breezes of the ocean air. There's something about being away where you can say, I've died and gone to heaven. Still others, it's gathering around a table. As you get older, uh, this is what heaven is like gathering with your kids and maybe grandkids and close friends and, and acquaintances and gathering together to do something special, whether celebrating a birthday or a holiday. There's something glorious about being together with family. Still others, uh, maybe the introverts in our, in our room that don't want to be a part of that last picture, uh, want to get a good book and a cup of coffee, and you want to just be alone and maybe you dying and going to heaven is just some time away just for you to think, for you to process. Uh, those are elements of the good life. For the business people and the entrepreneurs in our midst, uh, a deal being made, a new customer being achieved or being brought into your business. As a business person, as a pastor, I, I recognize this. The hard work that goes in in securing that new customer, securing that new project, and there are many times where that handshake or that contract being signed is the good life, knowing all of your hard work has come to fruition. Still others, the good life is none of those things at all. It's about getting money. And you've come to realize that the more money you have, the more opportunities you have, the more things you can buy, and the more happiness that can be brought to your life. You see, all of us at some point or another say we've died and gone to heaven, like Bill Bedall would say. But what Jesus is saying is that none of those things will bring us the happiness and the hope and the joy that we all long for. In fact, Jesus is going to use a metaphor today of a shepherd leading sheep. And he's going to say that if you want to follow after him, as a sheep follows a shepherd you can experience 
the good life. You can experience all that God desires for you to experience in this world. Now, uh, this whole passage is a long discourse of Jesus sharing and in some ways calling out the Pharisees for what they have done. And what they've done, we'll learn in a couple moments, is quite heinous to the people of Israel. But Jesus, in the midst of this discourse, says the following. If you want to look in in verse 9 and 10 and 11, he says the following. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That will serve as the hinge for this entire conversation that Jesus has, and it involves an invitation for you and I to experience that good life. Well, this isn't the first time that God has invited his people into the good life. I want you to write a couple passages down in those notes that you have in your bulletin. First of all, Psalm 1611. In Psalm 1611, we are told that God has made known to us the paths of life. In his presence is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are the pleasures forever. So the good life is God leading us, he's guiding us, and he's gifting us with the fullness of joy and pleasures forever. But you say, Tim, you don't understand the week I've had. You don't understand the calamity that has come upon my life. You don't understand. I I am living in a dark and dreary place. And now I come to church and you say you want me to experience the good life. Well, Tim, if you don't know how bad it is, you don't know how bad it is, and therefore you can't know that I can experience this good life. Well, I want to read to you Isaiah 58.11. Isaiah 58.11. Because it says that a good life can be found even in the most difficult and dreary of times and places. This is what Isaiah 58.11 says. And the Lord will continually guide you. And he will satisfy your soul in scorched and dry places. And he'll give strength to your bones. And you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And so this morning, I am not uh, painting things with rose-colored glasses. I'm not trying to give you this idea that all you got to do is grin and smile and good things will happen. What God has promised is even in the most difficult of circumstances, you and I can experience the good life that only he can provide. And the reason why is based on Ephesians 3.20, that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask for or imagine. So what is this good life? And what does it involve? Let's look to the screen and let's define for us what the good life in the Bible speaks of. It speaks of uh, the good life, not in terms of earthly possessions, power, or pleasure, but rather in living daily in God's presence and grace. It is a calm, contented, and confident life, no matter the circumstances and situations we face. Now, let's just stop there. We can be calm, contented, and confident no matter what we face. Why? Not because we're strong, not because we've got resources in and of ourselves, but because we have the promises of God in Scripture. 
and we know of God's providential care for us. That's why we can be calm, contented, and confident. This life doesn't exempt us from grief, trials, or pain, but it revels in knowing that the good shepherd promises to walk alongside us every step of the way so that nothing can overwhelm or overtake us. It is a joyful life that is completely satisfied, not in having stuff, but having Christ and knowing he is the door to the peace and the hope that we are all longing for. Can we amen that we want that kind of life? That we long for that? Maybe we didn't even know how we could get it, but every heart is yearning for the life that only God can give. But sadly, far too many of us, even as Christ followers, are living mediocre lives. God is willing and able to offer us so much more, but there's something that is keeping us from experiencing it. Now what Jesus is going to use is he's going to use a couple metaphors. He's going to say he's the door or the sheep gate, and then second, he's going to call himself the shepherd of the sheep. Now those are foreign to us in the 21st century, but to the first century audience, the idea of the sheep gate or the sheep pen and and the shepherd and sheep, that made total sense. In fact, many scholars believe that Jesus shared these words while pointing and, and even maybe standing next to the very things that he's using to illustrate. And yet sadly, even with those wonderful pictures, The text tells us they still didn't get it. And sadly, far too many of us today don't get that Jesus is the way to the good life. So how do we receive this good life? How do we make it a part of our lives? It involves three things this morning. Number one, it begins by forsaking the things that steal it. We've got to forsake, that is get rid of or move away from or, or release ourselves from the things that steal it. Notice in verse 10, right in the middle of this, as I've just read, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And that's in contrast to Jesus. So here Jesus is offering the good life to us, his people, and yet there's something that gets in the way. And John says that Jesus articulates that that something is a someone, it is a thief. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, the people of that day totally understood what it meant when they talked about sheep being stolen. It was a common occurrence for people to steal the great commodity of sheep. And so uh, that would happen. And so when we talk about robbers or thieves stealing sheep, it makes total sense to the people there. Now, Jesus isn't speaking literally. He isn't pointing to literal sheep and saying there's people stealing from the fold. He's speaking spiritually. And he's speaking to a group of people who are stealing spiritual sheep from the flock. Who's he speaking of? The Pharisees, those thieving chief leaders of the people of Israel, Jesus had harsh things to say about these men. In Luke 16, he calls them covetous men. In Mark 12, he says that they take advantage of the poor and oppress the widows. In uh, Matthew chapter 21, he says that they turn the temple of God into a den of thieves. 
He says over and over again, though they are given the responsibility to carry out the spiritual life of the nation of Israel, that they had no interest in the people of God. They had no interest in the spirituality of those people. They only wanted to pad their pockets and raise their prestige in the world that they had created. And Jesus says they're thieves. That word thieves in the Greek there is the Greek word kleptos. And kleptos is where we get our word for one who steals, a kleptomaniac. And so this individual steals, but that word kleptos has a deeper meaning. It is one who steals by cunning or stealth. That is, you don't know they're stealing. You don't know they're robbing you. The best way to illustrate it was the Pharisees served as pickpockets. That is, they took what was valuable from you without you knowing it. And the idea here was, what Jesus was saying, is that they would steal from you, unbeknownst to you, and you wouldn't know it until you needed that which they stole from you. So the idea here is that a pickpocket would steal your purse or your wallet. And you wouldn't be aware of it. You've gone on with your day and maybe you're at the grocery store and they grab it as you're not looking in the cart that you've got as you're pushing it through the aisle. And you go on and you go with your, the rest of your grocery shopping until you get to the cash register and you go looking for your purse or your wallet and it isn't there. By stealth, by cunning, they came in, took what was valuable from you, and you weren't aware of it until you needed it. The idea here of what Jesus is saying is the Pharisees are stealing from the people of Israel, and the people of Israel have no idea this is happening, and they won't know it's happened until they stand before God. And so this is why Jesus says they come to steal, kill, and destroy. They are destroying the spiritual life of Israel, and Israel's unaware of it. They think they're doing right. They're going on with their spiritual day. They're doing what they're told to do. And in the end, when they stand before God, they will have missed it. And Jesus says these Pharisees need to be held accountable for their sin. Now you say, time out, Tim. Wait a minute. We don't have Pharisees. We're not a Jewish congregation. We're not living in the first century. We're not living under the Mosaic law. We don't have a group of religious leaders who stand over us. And so does this passage apply to us? The answer is yes. We don't point to one specific thief, but there are many thieves that impact the lives of Christians and causes us to not live the good life God wants us to have. I want to share these four with you. There are four, I believe, thieves in our lives that the Bible speaks about. And I'll start with the one farther from us, if you will, or bigger, and get down to the smaller, the closest to us. Number one, the devil. The Bible says the devil is a thief and a liar. The devil uh, has been known to create great amount of harm and hindering of the people of God. He does it by tempting us. He does it by enticing us to not follow the words of God to not follow our good shepherd. And some of us this morning are in the clutches of the devil's lies and we're believing them and we're following them and we're living in them. And because of that, we are not experiencing the goodness of God. The second one is the world. First John, another book that this apostle John wrote, says that the lusts of the world are a problem for us. That the world seeks to conform us 
to its patterns. And its patterns, what it advertises, the Apostle Paul says, is it advertises that life and happiness and goodness and and joy and all the things that we long for can be found in the accumulation of the things of this world. But sadly, it's all a lie. And we learn that and we see that. How many people have sought to accumulate all of the things of this world, all these temporal things, only in the end, as Solomon said, to find it being chasing after the wind. Whether it was possessions, whether it was pleasure, whether it was prestige, whether it was all manner of things that only a king like Solomon could have. And at the end of his life, he says it is vanity, utter vanity, a chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. And the world lies, and it don't, we don't have to look very far to the advertisements that tell us over and over again, eat this, take this, have that, and you will find the joy and the peace that you're longing for. The devil the world. The Bible also tells us, especially in the New Testament, that for the church, false teachers are those we need to look out for. These false teachers, uh, they look like pastors, they, they act like pastors in many ways, but what they're doing is they are using the ministry to pickpocket people. They're using the ministry, and it has all of the uh, surroundings and feelings of, of church and ministry, But in the end, the only thing it is doing is enriching the person, the false teacher who's leading it all. And we see them, we see them on TV, we hear about them in media, these individuals who live these lavish, lavish lifestyles while promoting and promising good and and grace to the people of God, only to find out that at the end of the day, they really don't care about the people or God, the only thing they care about is themselves. The devil, the world, false teachers. But can I tell you there's one more? And this one is a little more subtle. And you might be even taken aback by it. But I will tell you another thief in your life that is robbing you from living the goodness of God and the good life that God has is you and me. It's ourselves. We so often think that our enemies are from outside, but they can also be from within. Some of us are, are battling and, and struggling, and, and we're not going to God with our problems, with our struggles. We're keeping them to ourselves. We're saying, I can figure this out, and I'll do it my way. Some of us are validating the struggles and the issues we have and call them habits and, and patterns. We say that we've got issues and, and struggles and, and all that, and we tell people, just leave me alone. Let me be where I'm at. And instead of finding victory in Christ, we allow ourselves to have a victim's mindset. And we've got to be so very careful that we don't sit in our difficulties and our troubles without releasing it to God. God says, I want to set you free. And some of us are robbing our own lives of the joy and the hope that God wants to give us. The devil, the world, false teachers, and yes, even ourselves, we can keep ourselves from where God wants us to be. And so whatever's advertising and selling that the good life can be found, if it is saying you can get the good life apart from Christ, it is a thief. Because Jesus says, I am the door. 
The good life comes through me. And so once we identify and forsake that which is being stolen from us, we now can move to following the one who supplies it. So on the heels of this thief, Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Well, how do we get it? Notice in verse 9, he says, I am the door. And right away, the people understand it. We get it, Jesus. We get what you're laying down in as much as we understand the metaphor you're using. But we don't. So it was shown in the, in the uh, video that there's this group of sheep. Now, it didn't show it as well as I would have hoped, but usually in sheep pens, there would have been numerous shepherds' flocks in that sheep pen. So a community would have a sheep pen somewhere in their uh, vicinity of their community where all the sheep of all the shepherds would be gathered. So every time shepherds would come back, they would bring all of their sheep, put them in the sheep pen until it's time to take them out to pasture again. And what would happen is, is a singular shepherd would come and he would say, okay, I want my flock. Well, there's all of these flocks a part of that one big flock. So how is he going to get his flock out of the sheep pen? He would call them by name. He would stand at the door and he would announce to them name after name after name, and they would come. Now, I didn't have time today to show you because it's about a four-minute video But I'll put on our Facebook page here after service uh, this video that Pastor Keith uh, gave to the teaching team. He had found it. It's an Irish or Scottish shepherd who's standing on this incredible green vista of pastures, but it's really, really foggy, so you really can't see it continue to go as it must. But then what the shepherd does is he stands and he begins to call for the sheep. And it takes about 60 to 90 seconds, but you start hearing the baying of the sheep, and they start coming. And it's quite amazing, because they come, and for Americans, it's like your dog coming to you. They come right up to you, and they're all around him. And as the sheep are all gathered around him, he turns to the cameraman, and he says, the sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. They know the voice. And so there's this voice today calling you by name. Jesus says, I know you, and I'm calling you, and I'm saying, Tim, I want you to come to me. I want you to follow me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to guide you. I'm going to give you what you need. But in order for that to be done, listen, three things need to take place. Number one, Jesus needs to pave the way. He needs to pave the way. I love what uh, one of my favorite commentaries on the book of John, James Montgomery Boyce, says in his commentary. He says, Jesus did not call himself a wall, for that would mean people would have to climb over it to be saved. It would involve hard work, and many might not even try to do it because of the task ahead of them. He goes on, he says, Jesus didn't compare himself to a long, dark hallway, For that, people would be too afraid to even venture in. He says, no, Jesus didn't call himself a wall nor a hallway. He called himself a door. A door is a beautiful picture, he says, because a door can easily and instantly be be entered into. 
So when Jesus says, I am the door to the good life, he isn't saying fix your life and think about it for a while. He says you can enter it instantaneously. All of us walk through doors all the time. We don't even think about it. We enter and exit doors at at, at all points in our lives. But here's the thing that the door helps us to understand. The door is a way of entrance. And if you want the good life, Jesus is saying, come through me. I am the way by which the good life can come into your life. But the door also serves not only as a place of entrance, but a place of exclusivity. What it means is the door serves as a separation between two rooms. So we have doors outside the sanctuary here. We're in the sanctuary because we've entered through the doors of the sanctuary. But as soon as we head out from the sanctuary, we go through the doors. We're no longer in the sanctuary. We're in the foyer or the lobby. What it's telling us is if Jesus is the door, You are either with him or you're not. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and anyone who will listen, you can enter in. It's free for any and all to enter in. But understand, when you come and follow me, it means you're no longer with them. Jesus is telling these people, you are either with me or you're with the Pharisees. You've got to make a decision. They are thieves. I am the good shepherd. So Jesus is the one who paves the way. We cannot get the good life without Jesus. Number two, Jesus protects the good life for us. He protects it. Now, notice in the text it's going to tell us that there's all manner of things that can rob us of the good life. Of course, we've already addressed the thieves and the robbers that will come, but Jesus brings in some more adversaries starting in verse 12. He says in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not the shepherd. So we've got this new hired hand that's different than the shepherd. And he is a hired hand who sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now that's a problem if you go back to verse 9. In verse 9 he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Some of us think that the good life in God is segregating ourselves from the world. And so we come to know Christ And we spend no more time in the world. We spend it all in church activities and church things because that's where God is. And so we're going to be in the sheep pen called the church and we're going to fill our lives with the activities, the holy activities of being with Christian people. But notice that the pasture that we're looking for is not in the sheep pen according to verse 9. But we have to go in and out to the world to get the pasture we're looking for. What Jesus is saying is, listen, if the good life was found in only doing Christian things around Christian people, involving ourselves only in Christian worship, then he would have transported us to heaven the moment we got saved. 
But Jesus says the pasture for the here and now is out in the world. And here's what I promise you. I promise to protect you as you go in and out. As you go to your workplace, as you go to your school, as you go into your community, yes, there will be thieves and robbers. There will be wolves that will come. But Jesus is saying, I will protect you. You cannot be overwhelmed and you cannot be overtaken. Why? Because notice what he says. Because he that enters in by the gate will be saved. Now, right away we think, okay, that means our salvation. John isn't using that word to explain what Jesus is saying. The word Jesus is using to be saved literally means is to be delivered safe and sound. What Jesus is saying and promising to all of us is that you will find the good life in this world. With all of its pains and struggles and difficulties, if you will only follow Jesus, then and only then will you find the safe harbor as you go in and out of the world. That at the end of your life, you will be delivered safe and sound. The Apostle Paul says to the Philippian church, he who began a good work in you is faithful to see it to completion. The Apostle Paul says those that he called, he also elected. Those he elected, he also justified. Those he justified, he also sanctified. And those he sanctified, he also glorified. You will never be in this midway, halfway house of Christianity. Jesus will see you from the start to the finish. He's going to protect us in this good life. But how do we get it? Notice we've got enemies all around us. We've got danger all around us. And so notice, he provides what we need. And so he brings up this idea of wolves. And the Pharisees, they were supposed to guard against the wolves. And as soon as the wolves came, they went running away. Now the wolf, and many scholars will hold true to this, the wolves are the devil and demons. It's the enemies of darkness. It's the kingdom of darkness. And the Pharisees were to do all that they could to hold that kingdom at bay for the people of Israel. But they were the hired hands. And so the devil comes and sin comes and death comes into the life of the people of Israel. And where These shepherds, the Pharisees, should have been there. They take off running. And all it leaves is these helpless sheep and the devil and his kingdom ready to devour them. And so here we have a picture of humanity. The devil and people and no one in the middle. And the devil is licking his chops and he is ready to pounce and destroy The people of this world, that is until the good shepherd showed up. And the good shepherd came between the devil and us and he went and the devil said there's curses, there's death that has to be paid for, they're living by your rules, God. And Jesus came and he said, you know what, you're absolutely right, devil, and that's why I'm going to the cross. That's why I'm laying my life down for them. You see, the good life is good because of Good Friday. The good life is good because Jesus took the bad. 
Jesus took the ugly. Jesus took the shame, the sin, the scorn. He took all of that and he placed it on him. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the good life. We who have gone from sinners who are now saints, we who have gone from enemies of God to be in the family of God, Jesus did that by his finished work on the cross. That is why he's the good shepherd. Nobody else would do that. Nobody else was willing to do that. Nobody else was perfect enough to do that. But Jesus did it. He stood between us and our greatest enemy, sin and death, and he addressed it once and for all where he could say, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting. Both death and sin have been swallowed up by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's because of that, my friends, we can have the good life. We can have a life. Now, how do we get that good life that he provides? I want you to see a couple things. Remember I've told you in my Bible study, what I always want to ask is, do you see patterns? Do you see things that are repeated? Usually when things are repeated, it's, it's what we're called to do. And so I want you to notice five times in our text, Jesus talks about listening to his voice. Five times in 21 verses. So you want to live the good life? I'm going to assume that what Jesus wants us to do is to listen to his voice. So let me ask this morning, in this last week, how often did you quiet yourself enough Did you give yourself even just a fraction of time to move away from the things of this earth, to incline your ear, to turn your attention to the things of God? Now, listen, I don't mean going, and some people do it, and I'm really thankful for them because it makes me feel junky and they look really good, okay? I don't mean going and finding your prayer closet, and if you've got that, praise God, but, but I'm just saying that you would stop and say, Lord, as Samuel did, Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening. It's opening up the word and it's meditating day and night on the law of the Lord. Lord, what do you have for me? Listen to me very, very carefully. You will not experience the goodness of God until you're listening to the voice of God. You'll never experience what God wants for you until you're listening to it. So five times, listen. They listen to my voice. Then four times in our text, he says they follow me. That means they take what they hear and they put it into action. Sheep who hear the voice of their shepherd then follow their shepherd. They put feet to what they've heard. So let me ask you in this last week, how much did you follow the voice of your God. And you say, but Tim, I'm not living the good life. I know why. You're not listening and you're not following. Can I I tell you something, parents, and you'll know this? You will not experience a mom or dad's grace and goodness if you're rebelling against them, right? I have no parents in this place, right? Okay? What makes us think that we can rebel against God's voice and rebel against his son and think that we are going to receive goodness from God and fellowship from God and the grace that we need from God? We won't. We never will unless we listen and we follow. 
Now, this leads to one final thing, and that is Jesus says, well, listen, this message has to go beyond who's hearing it. Jesus says in verse 16, he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is talking to a group of Jewish individuals, and he stops and he says, listen, I wish I could continue on, but, but I've got another flock. I've got a whole other group of sheep who need to hear this message. And he's speaking of us, the Gentiles. And he's saying, I am going to do way more than Abraham ever thought because I'm going to graft into this flock of God, not just Jews, but Gentiles alike. And the Gentiles, like the Samaritan woman and others, they are going to hear my voice. Which then begs the question, as those who experience the goodness of God, as those who experience the good life, shouldn't we share that with others? So the third thing we need to do is find ways to share it. We need to find ways to share it to those that are yet not in the flock of God. How do sheep share the goodness of the shepherd? It begins by living in such a way that the shepherd is feeding and nurturing and caring and protecting and watching over you, the sheep. Now, how does that get lived out? Let me tell you how not to share the goodness of your shepherd. And we do this all the time. We get into a group of people who don't have Jesus as their shepherd. And so tomorrow around the water cooler, someone will say, how, how's life going? It's terrible. It's terrible. I got this issue and that issue. My marriage is falling apart. My kids are this and I hate life. And you know, that jerk boss and, and I'm unhappy and all of that. And the person says, oh, you know, you talk about this shepherd in this good life. You know what? I'd rather stick with my life. And far too many of us are not living the good life. And can I tell you something? The good life is attractive to people that don't have it. There's a wasteland among us. And what people need to see in us is, I am settled, I am secure in the arms of the Almighty, and that doesn't mean my life is perfect, that doesn't mean I don't have issues, that don't mean I don't have struggles, but I have joy, and I have peace, and I have patience, and I have kindness, and I have goodness, I have the fruit of the Spirit that are overflowing, so that when a person sees me going through struggles, they say, how can you be like you are? I have a good shepherd. And my good shepherd loves me and cares for me and protects me and he walks alongside of me. Can I show you my good shepherd? You see, we're advertising not Jesus. We're advertising this substitute of Jesus that doesn't fix our problems, doesn't address anything. It just gives us an appointment on Sunday and the, we wonder why the world doesn't want our Jesus. It doesn't do anything. But if you would allow the Good Shepherd to lead and guide you, to listen and follow his voice, I will tell you something, that will be altogether attractive to a bunch of lost sheep looking for someone to love them and lay their lives down for them. And that's what we have in Jesus. Do you know that Good Shepherd this morning? If you don't, he's the door. And if you need help in finding that door, find me, find someone next to you. Say, I want to know the good life found in Jesus. We want to give that to you. But for those who have been walking 
there's a word for us to remember, and that is we need to listen to the voice of our shepherd, and we need to follow him. And it would do us well, each and every one of us, to take some time and with the Holy Spirit's help to identify where we're not listening and where we're not following. So that we won't get beat up, but we will once and for all experience all that God wants for us. Amen.